launch in three, two, one. Go. This is a dangerous beat that we're dealing with now. Introducing the Dog Pound Daily Podcast with your hosts, Andrew Seipt. I must be louder. And site expert Stephen Kabitza. If it's a blowout, Monday's podcast is going to be a bummer. But if they win, it's going to be a party. This DJ is so funky, man. Okay, let's go. We are here on the Tuesday following the Cleveland Browns' latest loss to fall to 0-9 in 2017. I'm Stephen Kabitza, joined by Andrew Sight. We are back a day late because we took our annual Dog Pound Daily retreat, this time for the first time, to southern Alabama. Andrew, how did you enjoy the trip? It was a a fantastic trip. I definitely found out where I'm either going to retire or just uproot my life entirely to move down there. It's just an awesome place. It's definitely a good place to have the inaugural retreat um, that is now annual. We actually watched the game in the car, which led to a pretty stressful car ride. Yeah, once they had that play at halftime, or right before the half, I think that was the most stressful part, just because there was nothing, you know, (laughs) we didn't really watch anything after that. We ended on such a terrible play, and then we were just frustrated for 15 minutes, so... I mean, there there are some bright spots. Obviously, the interception to start, the Browns get good field position. There's a big play, a 38-yard pass right out of the gate. You know, you, you wonder all week how Deshaun Kaiser's going to respond uh, after this failed A.J. McCarron trade, whether his confidence shot. You know, he, he comes out firing with a 38-yard pass down the sideline, and the Browns look to be in motion early. And it, it just, you know, it, it was a pretty good way to start uh, start the game, I'd say. Yeah, they jumped out to a 10 nothing lead, and unfortunately... I don't know if it was because I was tired or what the situation was, but I just couldn't really get excited. I think it's a combination of the fact they entered the game 0-8, so any lead is pretty much like, okay, well, whatever. But also, they're playing the Matt Stafford, like the quick-strike offense of the Lions. I don't is, know. Do you think, it's, do you think I'm, I'm in the minority of people who wasn't excited? Yeah, I, I was a little excited at the start of that game. You know, you kind of wonder, because before the game, you hear about the, the fact that the Lions are coming off a short week. You know, the, the Browns have had you know, 13 days off or how it had an entire almost two weeks to prepare for this game. So you're, you're curious how they're going to come out after all this bad PR over the last week and a half. So um, for them to come out and really set the tone for to force three negative plays, one with or two with negative five yards and then another uh, three yard loss to get the ball with good field position and then open it up on offense with a 30 plus yard play. I think that was just like a, a good way for this team to, to respond given the fact that they were zero and eight uh, to start the year. Yeah, certainly some, I mean, in general for the entire game, it was a competitive game to watch. Um, arguably they should have won, which has only been true a handful of times this year. Yeah. I think the the end score looks a lot worse than what the game actually was. You know, it, it was tied, to start the fourth quarter, the Browns had two or 197 yards rushing through three quarters, which was a season high, you know, and they were just dominating the Lions on that side of the ball. They, they won the time of possession, you know, defensively. It was a little bit difficult given that Detroit, it seemed to run all over the Browns. And that was kind of the one spot where we thought the Browns would excel would be in stopping their run game. But, uh, you know, the Lions kept finding holes in the defense, and the offense was just uh, unable to keep up in the fourth quarter. Before we get to the end, I think the main thing kind of to talk about from 
the first half has to be Deshaun Kaiser's ill-advised or non-advised quarterback sneak. We found out after the game that he called it, and his everyone they asked said, yep, that was on him. Is that something? We were talking about it in the car. Do you think that's something that maybe should have gotten him pulled from the game or no. going forward? I mean, I I think I overreacted to the car. It was a, a <laughs> it was bad the, though. To be fair. Mo- oh, it was terrible. Yeah, you don't want to make that mistake. But again, he's a rookie, and I think what makes it worse is that Hugh Jackson and and Deshaun Kaiser came out today and both kind of said, "Oh, we're not going to talk about it." Like, but then you have the teammates behind the scenes saying, "Yeah, well, you know, that wasn't the play," and he audibled into that. But he's got the freedom to do that. So, if they were to just if Deshaun Kaiser comes out and says. You know, I, yeah, I made that mistake. You know, now I know it won't. Like, I won't ever do that again. <laughs> you know, at least admit to the mistake, own up to it, move on. Now they've got, you know, a press conference based around or fifteen questions around that topic when it's basically a non-issue. I mean, it's yeah. In- and the, or I say, as usual, they bungled it. Hugh Jackson came up and said that was on me. Told Kaiser, yeah, you know, I'm gonna tell the media that was on me. And then all the players were like, no, that was De- that was Deshaun. It's like, why can't for once just say, yeah, my my 21-year-old quarterback made a dumb move. We talked about it. It's past this. Yeah, and he won't do it anymore. You know, when you're at the two-yard line and no timeouts, just <laughs> make the safe play. And it, it was it was weird because you almost wanted an interception at that point. You know, they've done that so many times, taking themselves out of scoring opportunities, and that's the first time where they haven't turned the ball over and still squandered that opportunity. So, it, it was definitely deflating going into the half because you were really looking for that opportunity to cut into that seven point lead. Cause you were getting the ball back almost doing what, what good teams like new England and green Bay used to do, which is they time that up specifically. That's what that's, that's what they aim to do every game. And, you know, sure enough, the Browns find a way to, to mess it up before the half. And it was incredibly frustrating. Cause that was a 10 play drive right before the half, um, 10 plays, 73 yards. You think, maybe at least get a field goal you know they had a field goal earlier in the game deep down in opposing territory but just please do something and not to mention this long drive came right after the devalve fumble that was returned for a touchdown so they responded right away and it was just kind of in a span of five five plus minutes game was pretty much lost yeah, that the fumble definitely hurts. You know, the Browns were moving the ball at that point. Best thing about the part this part of the first half was that the Browns were just actually looking like an NFL franchise, especially on offense. You know, moving the chains, the ability to run the ball, uh, something that we just haven't seen this year. We finally got a glimpse of the rushing attack and and what it can do for such a young quarterback and just taking that pressure off. You know, I think the the game slowed down a lot for Kaiser just because there wasn't so much. Uh, so much emphasis on making him one dimensional and, and Crowell was actually, you know, putting them in good field position without asking too much of Deshaun Kaiser. Speaking of Crowell, I wrote about it today. I said, I'm full on the conspiracy train that he is not allowed to get 20 carries or a hundred yards no. because, and like you were saying, it was almost like, well, they were working so well together. Kaiser wasn't one dimensional. He goes out, they're checking his ribs for two, two or three series or whatever. And then they stop running with your backup quarterback in down seven, that, it makes that, no it make, sense. No, it makes no sense. On their best running day in the other year. Exactly. It, it again, if Hugh Jackson thinks that he's got to pass in that situation just because it's they're trailing. I mean, there there's ten minutes left in the game. 
So they just drove the ball down with the run all three quarters. They had an three eight yard, eighty-five or eight play, eighty-five yard drive that took four minutes, seventy yards on the ground, just on the ground, and I think it was capped off with a Crowell touchdown. I mean, they they proved to themselves that they could have they could do that earlier in the game. So the fact that Hugh Jackson abandoned the run with just over ten minutes left when your starting quarterback got knocked out of the game. Like you, why would you put Cody Kessler in that situation to drop back six times? I just don't understand it. And it wasn't even like they were doing really any major play action or anything. It's just dropping back. Well, a deep pass to Ricardo killed. Lewis. I mean, first play, he dropped back. It's like he didn't even hit his third step, and he he was already like submitting for a sack. You know, it's just hand the ball off. You've been you've been running well all game inside that that gap between Treader and, and Zeitler, or even in, bet- in between Batonio. I mean, Crowell was tearing that up all day, or. Just some quick screen passes to Duke, you know, just just start to move the ball and try and chew up some of that time because what ended up happening was they had two quick three and outs, which basically blew the game wide open for Detroit because the defense couldn't stop anything. I think our main thing that we agree on is that at this point, it's like Hugh Jackson keeps calling an offense for a much better talent pool. Instead of saying, all right, I got Cody Kessler in there. Let me simplify it. It's spread it out, throw it deep. It's like, he can't. (laughs) He can't throw it accurately deep, had a bad overthrow, and it's one-dimensional with a backup quarterback who wouldn't play anywhere else. Nothing against Cody Kessler, but you put him in there, and it's like, all right, lead a fourth-quarter touchdown drive. It's like, he can't. You don't even have to have him do that, though. Again, just you don't have to ask him to do too much. He's not – Kaiser's not in there. He doesn't have the arm strength or the arm – like, he overthrew – who was that Treggs that was wide open you know that that could have changed the entire game and and speaking of plays like that you know how many times I think it was uh Kenny Britt had a 29 yard pass that was called back from a holding penalty and right after that Kevin Zeitler had a holding penalty on a 15 yard run from Crowell that completely killed the momentum of a drive so it's just things like that that continue to plague this team where they just can't seem to get out of their own way and also, when Kessler was in there, you know, getting killed and missing passes, there was a point where Kaiser was on the sidelines ready to come in. And I said while watching, I was like, teams usually don't replace a quarterback during a series. But then your point was, well, it's fourth quarter. Like, why not? Yeah. Because, because if it's the backup, if like Tom Brady's on the sideline out for a play or two, they're like, yeah, go, go, go. Uh, it's saying, like Hugh Jackson. It's almost Kaiser like he's Tom Brady. No, but he's the starter. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and it's almost like Hugh Jackson trusts Cody Kessler more. I I don't think so. Well, uh, like in that situation, so like, well, can't take him out. It's like get your backup out of the game. I've seen about enough of Cody Kessler. You know that that that, that was not a uh, a favorable scenario for him. But he also just he did not look prepared in any facet. I mean, the Detroit had not gotten pressure really on Kaiser all day. I don't think he had. I think he had maybe he was sacked one time. Um, correct me if I'm wrong on that. But Kessler was sacked three times for 22 yards, and all that did was give the give the Detroit Lions better field position after those quick three and outs to just like I said, blow the game wide open. You had a seven point deficit. You get another three and out that you're punting away to Detroit. And I think didn't they score on that screen play right away or the the. They had another drive where it was, you know, four plays in ninety se- just over ninety seconds. So, the offense just did not do a good job of of controlling the ball and limiting Detroit's possessions with the ball. 
Yeah, Cody Kessler had three passing attempts and was sacked three times. Kaiser was sacked once on 37 attempts, and he also rushed it seven times. So just the ratio there. Well, he had a couple big ones, too. I mean, in that drive, I think right before the half, he had an 18-yard scramble up the middle. He almost slid too early, but, you know, I'd rather be safe than sorry in those scenarios. He had a 20-yard scramble later in the game, too. I mean, those are the kind of plays that this team is going to have to make in order to move. If that's what it takes to move the ball, I'm okay with it. But when it comes down to running the ball with Isaiah Crowell or just even having design plays for your quarterback, like we used to see with even freaking Andy Dalton used to run a little bit up in Cincinnati a couple of years ago. I mean, if you're calling design runs for your quarterback, just some way to, to continue to do what was working for you, I have no problem with that. But again, you abandon the run and look where it got you. Yeah, and kind of moving to the second half on that note too, Browns run 21 plays in the fourth quarter. 20 passes, fall to 0-9. And, and I have a question for you. I saw someone pose this. I can't remember. Um, it may have been, one. I think it was one of the guys from Waiting for Next Year, and it was like, is if they keep Hugh Jackson and they keep losing, there's like no precedent for keeping a coach who's won like one or two games in two years. Do you, after this game and the way he managed it, especially with the fourth quarter numbers, do you think that puts his job in further jeopardy? I mean, or is it in jeopardy at all? I I would have to think part part of it's in jeopardy. You know, that's a winnable game right there, and, and and I think you may not have the talent to win because you're too young, but you also didn't do yourself any. It, it's not like these games are well coached, so you, I can't sit here and vouch for Hugh Jackson. Uh, again, I'm not sitting here and vouching for Sashi Brown either, but. It, it's just a frustrating game to watch because they're so undisciplined. Every, like I said before, there's penalties that take away these big plays that you just can't have happen as a, a team as young as the Browns. Finally, Kenny Britt made a freaking play, a couple of them, and it, you, just, you, you just need a little bit more production or a little bit more talent to win because, like Hugh Jackson said, they have to be perfect, and I just don't see it happening, at least right now. Yeah, there seems to be a mindset that me and you have had, too, where it's either Sashi Brown's fault or it's Hugh Jackson's fault. And when you say the it's Sashi Brown's fault, it's Hugh has no talent. If you say it's Hugh Jackson's fault, it's, you know, he's a bad coach. But both can be true at the same time. He's dealing with lesser talent, but he's still making some ridiculous calls. Um, bad clock management. He used all three of his timeouts before, by the time Kaiser sneaked. I was screaming about it in the car. I said, what is he doing? He called his third time out with a minute 17 left. And my fear was that, you know, they were going to run out of plays or just keep passing because I didn't think he would run the ball. He never runs the ball anyway. So being down in the red zone with no timeouts, no quarterback runs the ball in that, or no, no head coach calls a running play. So I, I'm expecting, you know, three plays with all passes takes not a minute 17, and sure enough, you know, they, they run the clock down to 19, 23 seconds, 15 seconds. They audibles into this thing. And just e- even if you had a timeout, you know, someone could have called timeout at the, in that scenario. If he heard him audible, it, it just it, not having any timeouts in that scenario just leaves you without really any option and plays like that end up happening. It will be interesting to see if they keep losing, which I think they will. They got the six and three Jaguars this Sunday. Um, at home, doesn't matter. Won't be many people there. It's going to be miserable out. If they keep losing, 
how if Hugh Jackson keeps making these decisions, if there's less hate directed at Sashi Brown, although I do feel like at this point, everyone's entrenched in their views. It's not going to change over the next seven games. Like if you think Sashi Brown is the worst GM ever, it's not going to change if Hugh Jackson makes bad decisions. No. And I mean, I think there are still, despite what's going on with the head coaching decisions in the front office, there were some positives in this game. Excuse me. I mean, Deshaun Kaiser played his best game, or Deshaun is it Deshaun Kaiser? Deshaun Kaiser. I believe it's Deshaun. We I think Deshaun. we say Deshaun. They, well, Deshaun, but the, I, I believe it's Deshaun. E. Phonetically, it's Deshaun. But I'll, I'll whatever. Yes. Deshaun Kaiser. So, I mean, he played his best game. Uh, he played a decent game against Minnesota, but this week uh, again, he he just gave us competent quarterback play, and that you just see exactly what that does for your team. It keeps you in it. Uh, to pair that with a. a, a 197 yards before the before the fourth quarter and again that's a set, that's a recipe that's gonna win you some ball games and if you if you're able to do that continuously and that's what I think we need to look for from Deshaun, Deshaun Kaiser is whether or not he, he can do it just for one game or whether he's going to do it over an extended period of time and if he struggles again will Hugh Jackson rip him out of the game and ruin his continuity I don't think he'll do it anymore after the way he played in Detroit but then again, I didn't think he'd do it after week one. He's not pulling him anymore. It makes no sense. Mm-mm. You saw what Cody Kessler brings to the table, and it's not better. Kevin Hogan's probably still got an injury or whatever is going on there. Kaiser's going to be the guy. I, I, I have no no reason to believe why he would pull him out unless it's like a five interception before halftime kind of performance. And if he can limit turnovers and ridiculous audibles – and keep playing the way he's been playing, there's a pretty good chance he they may not take a quarterback at the top of the draft. Well, who's or if they were ever going to anyway. Or if there's a new front office in who cleans everything up, but I don't want to think about that yet. See, the, that kind of scenario is a little bit different because in 2015 you had a, a bunch of aging veterans. It's a, In this kind of scenario you're coming – to almost, I wouldn't say a stock cupboard, but I mean you have you do have some building blocks that I just don't think are being used correctly. I think Agba and, and Miles both played like 38 snaps, which is not necessarily a lot. And I remember at one point me watching a 20 yard gain, and I'm like, Miles Garrett and Agba both aren't on the field. You know why is that the case? How how can you afford to have that happen? Uh, I, I just think Jabril Peppers playing out of position not really having any cornerbacks that are shut down cornerbacks is a little hard on the secondary because you can try and get to the passer all you want but if you can't cover the wide receivers then you know you're just setting yourself up for screen passes that go 51 yards to the house I did see a tweet yesterday that said man the Lions are going to have a great day on the ground if the Browns backup defensive line keeps playing the whole game it's with Garrett maybe they're trying to I mean protect him because they're so bad but he's got to be out there he's the number one pick your defense got destroyed yesterday arguably it's worst or second worst performance of the season I mean you lose you lose Jamie Collins after that interception and and let's come out and say I mean the defense came out and smacked Detroit right in the mouth like I said before they had a nice five-yard loss on the first play another five-yard loss and then a third-yard loss on the first three plays after a lot of people pegged you know, Matt Stafford is the, the the number one quarterback to play in fantasy because the Browns' pass defense is so bad. Well, we both started him. Oh, I had yeah, I, I had no qualms about doing that. But 
I mean, then the Browns come out and jump a 10 nothing lead, and you're like, okay, let's see what this team's got. Can they hold on? And I think I even mentioned to you at one point, I just said, you know, this team's just not built to win. They're not old enough to win. They have no idea how to close it out, and it was definitely evident on Sunday. Looking ahead really quick to this Sunday against the Jaguars, you think there's going to be any major changes from what they did against the Lions? Or will they, will they ever stick to the run for an entire game, or is it dependent on the scenario? Well, they're going to have to just try and stick to the run as much as they can on Sunday. It's going to be like in the 30s and rainy or snowy. Well, Detroit's pass defenses, or not Detroit, Jacksonville's pass defense is the best in the league. I mean, they even their pass, like sacking the quarterback, I think they're one of the top teams as well. So I have their defense. I'm going to start them in both leagues. It's going to be awesome. But if the Browns can't get a running game and they force the Browns to try and be one-dimensional, that's going to really test how Kaiser has progressed since the bye week and if, if his capable play is going to continue or if he's going to revert back to what we saw early on in the season with the uh, multiple turnover halves. I will say I won't be surprised if it's 30 degrees and rainy and sleeting and Hugh Jackson lets him throw it 40 times because that seems like a definite Hugh Jackson decision to try to catch him off guard. 40? I bet 50. <laughs> Remember when Kessler Kessler took over in week three after like they did they said he basically wasn't ready to play and he dropped him back I think forty seven times it's insane fifty three maybe I, it was some insane number for someone that hadn't been uh, quote ready to play yet at that point in the season so I don't put it past you Jackson but I think after this past week's performance I think uh, the running backs at least deserved a little bit more carries I think the good news from the game loss aside abandoning the run game again aside is that coming off a bye after a pretty brutal loss it maybe this is just me but i'm i'm not excited in the sense of the term to watch the browns this sunday but at least i want to watch to see some more progression out of kaiser um see what they can do in you know a bad weather game at home against a pretty good jaguar team just i'm I'm kind of looking forward to seeing progression as opposed to after that Vikings game. I was like, I need this week off. I can't even think of watch them because they're, they're just so bad. Yeah. Again, even coming into this game, you were the, the questions that you asked yourself, you were kind of like, okay, how's Deshaun Kaiser going to respond after the failed AJ McCarron trade? You know, what's it going to look like? How's his confidence going to look? Then it was, are the Browns going to realize that they need to commit to the run a little bit? you know, and take the pressure off their rookie quarterback. And then finally, is you know, is this team going to fight for Hugh Jackson? Because we've seen in years past or what we've seen with the Giants is the players given up on the coach because they're not winning games or that he's lost the locker room. So I think the answer to all three questions were positive in that Kaiser looked confident. The game looked a little bit more natural to him. You know, the Browns rediscovered the running game at least through three quarters and they looked to be fighting, and they came out and smacked Detroit right in the mouth. So the problem is, on the flip side, they just didn't make enough of those little plays or capitalize on the plays like Njoku getting his foot down in the end zone or you know those two holding penalties that bring back big plays and switch the momentum. You know They, they can't seem to make those capitalize on the big plays in order to get over that hump. To the last question of, you know, will the players give up on Hugh Jackson – didn't this Sunday. I think they're almost too young and inexperienced to give up. I think they're hungry to play. And also, 
I think with a team like the Giants that expects to be in the playoffs every year, maybe they're not poised to be in it, but truly they expect to be. Mm-hmm. I think that's when you see guys maybe giving up and giving up on the coach. But the Browns, it's they came in like we're underdogs in every single game. Hugh Jackson's pumping him up every week, saying, you know, we're you know we're good, we're a good team, we're gonna win. I hope he says things like this. Um, but. I, I don't foresee them giving up. Not that you said they would, but I think that's something that comes up a lot, like efforts questioned, um, but shouldn't be an issue with this team. Do you ever find it weird that sometimes, you know, I'm not saying Hugh Jackson needs to come out and be like, like every week say how bad the, how bad they suck. But like one time, wouldn't you just be like, yeah, we blew it. You know, like I blew it instead of like, it's almost like condescending when he has his, has his press conferences or just that maybe the arrogance of, of what's going on. But I, for once I would just like for someone to have accountability, at, you know, just come out and, and tell it like it is instead of trying to play it off. Like it, we're not looking at an zero and nine dumpster fire. I think a coach like Belichick does that when his team was really good and a super Bowl, super bowl contender winner every year has a bad game. I think he'll come out and say, you know, we sucked, but I think Hugh Jackson, it's like, He's going to tell them they expect to win, but I don't know. But to that point, I think I, it would be fair if he said, I don't know you know, what Deshaun was doing on that, instead of being like, it's on me, it's on me. Well, yeah, and the more I think about it, it could be a confidence thing, too. Like you said, maybe with those New England teams, you have veterans in the locker room that understand how to take those losses. Like, they were embarrassed. They know how to respond to those kind of things versus a team of third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounders and first and second year guys, I, I think they just don't know or they wouldn't necessarily react as well to that kind of treatment versus, you know, kind of still Hugh Jackson be like, listen, baby steps. We got to take this one step at a time. Obviously, we want to win, but we've got to be able to uh, do it at us. <laughs> we don't want to be good too fast. You know, <laughs> we don't want to win too many games. <laughs> Sashi would kill him. <laughs> yeah, C.J. Beathard had – didn't C.J. Beathard have like 400 yards in, in for San Francisco? I don't know if it was that much, but he lit it up. And the San Francisco got their first win, so good for them. The Browns now hold uh, hold the keys to the driver's seat in terms of getting that first pick. Sitting atop the draft order before Thanksgiving. Is it, uh, is it too early to talk about who, the, who we want in the first couple – we have two picks in the top ten, probably. As of I right think now. we should we should actually begin touching on that on our show later this week. I think it's it's about time. All right, are we? But uh, at this point in this show, I think you agree with this. I'd like to give a few shout outs. Oh, it's time for the shout out because we had an amazing retreat, and we found out <clears throat> we met the most interesting people in in the world from. The Dosecki's commercial. First, a shout-out to our host, Reggie and Stephanie. Reggie's father may listen to this podcast, so if your son's named Reggie, he lives in Foley, Alabama. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Great guy, Browns fan. Our other shout-out, which I think we're very excited about, is our new friend, Stu. And a little background on Stu. He is a, I believe he's semi-retired, British man who lives in Alabama who used to live in San Diego and was a diehard Chargers fan. So you see me and Andrew walk into, we were invited to someone's house we never met before, watching an Alabama football game, a lot of British people around, an Irish woman, and we're like, where are we? But this is so cool. 
Yeah, it was amazing experience. It, it was a lot of fun. There was a everyone was smoking cigarettes and, and speaking an English accent. I felt felt like I was in a in a real English pub, although it was uh, watching Alabama football. I was going to say <laughs> as Ohio State fans watching Alabama football and almost lose. So watching Alabama football in Alabama is definitely a treat. I'll say that. Yeah, we got to watch the Auburn game at the world famous Florabama. Yeah, and uh, and they Stewart won. All- Stewart also casually dropped that he covers not North, j- just North, but North and South America, because two states or two continents aren't uh, aren't enough to hold Stu in. So, yeah, yeah, great, great, amazing person. I just amazing such house. a ridiculous experience. And we were told he doesn't speak a lot. Me and Andrew spoke to him for about five hours. It was a very, it was a very low bar low expectations that were set as to how how we were going to be able to you know ha- have it or how good of a time we were going to have with Stu at this party and he talked to us about the browns we were sharing browns knowledge in alabama we take the stuff from this show and we spread it around the nation we spread the oh and nine cheer like a <laughs> weird santa claus <laughs> yeah but he was a chargers fan so we were you know we were all reminiscing about just sad times. Marty Schottenheimer, the fact that Dean Spanos moved the team and how they're not too fond of him out there. It's just he's he's seen a game at like damn near every stadium in a in a box seat. So just yeah, uh, Stu was like, we're like, yeah, the Browns stink, and he's like, hold my beer. I was a Chargers fan. We're like, oh <laughs> yeah. I mean, they that guy's uh that guy was a cool guy. He was a cool guy. Thanks again for the hospitality, Stu, if you're listening. Yeah. If Stu's actually listening, I'm going to be so flattered <laughs> because it was amazing. That's, I mean, those were the only two shout outs. Did you have any other shout outs? Uh, shout out to the Snappers Lounge. Oh, uh, yes. Steven. In Orange Beach, Alabama. We yeah. were told, we found it, and we were told <laughs> in shock. Our respo- Anytime we told anyone we went there, it was, oh, God, why? <laughs> Yeah, very we, British environment. After brunch, we ended up going. We couldn't find a bar because everything like I get, it, in Alabama they have breakfast, lunch, and brunch, so it only it's only open till two. So we get out after a couple mimosas, and we need to find the nearest watering hole. And it's about two o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon, so we just start walking down this way. There's no Ubers available, so we just have to walk until we find something. We walk past this place called the Undertow, but the sign isn't lit up, so we walk keep walking. We end up at a place called Snapper's Lounge, and we end up staying there for about four hours, and quite a few beers later, we end up... Youngest people there by 40 years. Easily. Everyone looked like uh, like when you watch Always Sunny and you actually see the patrons of the bar in <laughs> Always Sunny, they always have their heads down in the beer, and, and no one's really talking to each other. And we were, and, we were having a great time. Oh, it was a great time. And uh, we met a guy that used to truck drive through Ohio that actually called Ohio the communist state, which is something that I've never heard before. So it's nice to see what people in Alabama think of Ohio. Uh, he's not even was, from Alabama. He's just Canadian. Uh, exa- oh, that was the other thing. Yeah, it's just a, a really weird group of people. Everyone but, we met in Alabama was from a different country. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good time. Definitely a, a diverse group of people. Great retreat was, place for any blog out there. Yeah. If you run a was, podcast and you need a retreat, Foley, Alabama, 10 out of 10 recommend. We were there for two days, and we have stories for, like, the rest of our lives. It was uh, definitely one of my favorite all-time times, all-time vacation. All-time times. All-time time. On that note, we love Foley, Alabama. We, <laughs> we are excited 
a little bit to watch the Browns this Sunday. By the time we post our next episode, we're going to be be like, it's third down. Very excited for the game. They're at home. Maybe I'll sit in the dog pound. Probably not. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't go. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> oh, come Screw on. That. I would not go to the Browns game if it was cold. I wouldn't go. I'm going to be back for Thanksgiving. There's a 0% chance that I would take tickets to go to the game. I mean, it's five I bucks on StubHub. I watch on Sunday ticket and then if it like, you know, if it's a blowout, I can turn on my fantasy teams and or whatever games I have fantasy players in. So, I don't know. We'll we'll preview this week at Jacksonville and hopefully uh there'll be better news cuz we I think we kind of glossed over the fact that Jamie Jamie Collins is out for the year with an MCL injury. So that kind of We will talk about all that later this week. As always, please remember to subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already. And if you have an iPhone or an Apple device, leave us a review. Helps others find the podcast. And it's just also very nice to do if you enjoy the show. And if you don't enjoy the show, don't leave a review. And for, Andrew. S- and for Satch Blackburn. And Earl Baxter. We are signing off. <laughs>